Evening, everyone. We want to welcome you to our Bible study and prayer meeting this evening. And we're so glad that you uh, came out and joined us this evening. We want to welcome those who may be watching online as well. And we trust that this will indeed uh, be a blessing to you. And we're privileged to have Pastor Jeremy Mitchell with us this evening. who will be sharing the Bible study a little later. But as always, we're going to stand together. We're going to worship the Lord and give him the thanks and praise that he deserves for his goodness and faithfulness in our lives. Let's stand together and let's worship him this evening. And I will worship you, Lord, and I praise your holy name, lifting up holy hands in honor and praise. Oh,
Just thank the Lord for a few moments. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise that's due to your name this evening. We worship you, Lord. We give you all the praise. For you and you alone are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Lord. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy and all together wonderful to me. Oh, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. God bless you as you're seated this evening. Pastor Jeremy's going to come and share from the word at this time. going to open up in prayer. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. Father, tonight I pray that our hearts will be open to receive what you have birthed in my spirit. Father, allow me to be obedient, to speak directly what you have spoken to me. And Lord, let everything that is said and done be done for your glory and your glory alone. In the mighty name of Jesus we ask. Amen. Growing up, Dad used to always say, one of these days you're going to hear your mother's voice when you least expect it. And he used to always say it when he'd see a knife sat down on its back with the blade sticking up the sharp part. He said, I can hear my mother every time. Take it and put it down. If not, you're going to cut yourself. Pastor White told me that tonight's service was going to be recorded and uh, I immediately heard mom's voice. 
when I was young, I used to get about two or three haircuts a year. I used to shave my head, buzz it, and let it grow out right long. And mom used to look at me and go, he looks like a bully boo. Go get your haircut. When he said that it was going to be recorded, I heard mom say, go get your haircut. Looks like a bully boo. So if you see me this morning and he sees me tonight, I do have a haircut. <coughs> Praise God for a, a heritage. Tonight, uh, Pastor White told me that he was going through different parables, studying, doing Bible studies, and thanks to a, a co-worker of mine who was on an amazing journey um, with the Lord. Gene, if you're watching, God bless you. Praying for you as you travel right now. And uh, he's, he was the one that challenged me on this. He, he's been reading scriptures, and he, he told me about how the parable of the dishonest manager, or the dishonest or shrewd steward, and it challenged me to get into study. And uh, tonight I would just like to take a few moments to go over what, uh, what the Holy Spirit's been birthing in me, just reading through it and studying it. So in Luke chapter 16, verses 1, I'm going to start. He says, he also said this to the disciples. Take note of that. Jesus is now speaking to the disciples. There was a That word squandering, maybe wasting in different versions. You want to make highlight of that word. He was squandering his possessions. Verse 2, so he called the manager in and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then he, the manager said to himself, What am I going to do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to go and beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from management, people will come and welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtor. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first person. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Verse 7, he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. The master, the rich man, praised the unri unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely or shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more astute than the sons of the light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of the unrighteous money or unrighteous wealth, depending on what version you're reading. And I want you to make a note under this, or highlight it. And I'll read this again, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails. Take note, it says when it fails. Don't say if, it says when. So that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Verse 10, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you not have been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No household slave can be the slave of two masters, since either he will hate one or love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then the King James Version puts it beautifully. You cannot be slaves to both God and mammon. Mammon is the greedy pursuit of wealth. So as I was preparing for this and reading through and studying, I find you, gotta, you have to know context. To get context, you might have to go back a chapter or read previous verses or to really understand what's going on. So I normally flip back a chapter. We go back and we see Jesus is not talking to just his disciples. He's talking to more of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. He's taking a moment to sit back in front of the many, the crowds, and he points out these, these religious leaders, these holier-than-thous. And he starts talking to them about the parables, the lost parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, 
in the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. Now, you got to put yourself in the religious shoes. I know that's hard for Deer Lake people. But you get yourself in these pharisaical ways. And you stand back and the Pharisees would have heard Jesus talking about the 99 sheep that he would have left to go look for the one. Now, in a religious eye, why would somebody leave the 99 righteous for the one who's probably dirty, lame, sick? It means nothing. And then Jesus goes on and talks about the lost coin, how a woman who would have sold all that she had to buy this block of land to find this coin. Now, if if memory serves me right, in those days, in around the year 26 A.D. to 29 A.D., whenever this part of Jesus' ministry was, when he was speaking, women did not own money. They did not own things. They did not have things. So for a Pharisee to hear Jesus say that she was now in possession of money, of currency, it makes them stand back and say, who are you to say a woman can own something? If she gets rid of something, she's probably getting rid of something that her husband owned or her son. It really messes with the Pharisees. Then we go to the prodigal son. And the beautiful thing about the prodigal son is Jesus, at the closer to the end of the, the, the parable, says that the father, who in this case was well-to-do, he was well-off, he was in the distance watching his son come, dirty, ragged, just totally nothing left, no energy. And in those days, a man would have worn uh, something like a dress, normally white if you're in a higher social class. And it was wrong for them to, to run because in those days or in that culture, you didn't want to see your ankles. And Jesus says, and he points it out, and see, context is key. The Pharisees would have been sat there or stood listening to Jesus, and Jesus says, the father runs. So first thing, it's, it's wrong for a man to run. should never be in haste. And Jesus says that he runs. Not only that, he would have to, I don't know, I've never worn a dress. I don't know how hard it is to run in a dress. Might have to try it. But he rolls it up, and he begins to run. Everybody sees his ankles. And he's running towards his filthy, his dirty, his sinful son, and he puts his arms around him. Now, a Pharisee would have been losing his mind. All of these stories were geared to go against the religious understanding of what they thought was man's attempt to get to God. The definition of religion is man's attempt to elevate themselves to God. This is what Jesus was pinpointing in these previous three parables in Luke 15. And now we see Jesus teaching about this shrewd, dishonest steward. But he's focusing his intentions towards his disciples. He begins to teach the importance of properly managing the responsibilities. Jesus, still being surrounded by so many, he narrows in his focus. I don't know if, if you've ever had a chance to really focus in on something. But in a house full of girls, you kind of get good at it. Because there's so much squealing going on, and then you have one, Daddy, 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 Uncle, pick me up. And if you don't know my youngest, we went skidooing one time, and they were too tired to continue on, so I called my sister, who got Sean, her husband, to come pick up the girls. And this has been the same story ever since March. Daddy, Daddy, Uncle, pick me up. But it's hard to hear that when there's so much screaming and bawling, and Mom just, shh that you begin to narrow in your focus to listen to that story. So here's Jesus narrowing in his focus. Even though he was surrounded by many, he's trying to teach his disciples something very key here. And I believe that he was hitting home a point by my guess, which is being pressed upon him by the Holy Spirit. So I just want to take a few moments to point out some things. The rich man, 
In those days, to be rich wasn't necessarily to have actual currency or money. Many scholars' account would be that he had property, he had homes, he had, I guess, Airbnb back in the day. And these people would come and rent. That would be their shelter. That would be their place to reside. And because this man was wealthy in his means, normally, as scholars would point out, he would travel a lot. He would go wherever, and he would come back. And because of this, he needed to hire a steward. And this steward would have had to have been an honorable, noble person to ensure the responsibilities that were given to him would be upheld. Normally in this era, a steward would be a slave. But in this case, you read down through it, instead of being killed as a slave who was dishonest, who would steal, would happen, it shows that he was actually a hired servant. Now the biggest difference in, the, in this is with a slave, he would have been killed. I guess his misery would have been over. But a steward, after doing what he'd done, would have been let go. He would have had nowhere to live. He would have had nowhere to work because word travels pretty quickly. And he would never have had another job. So it would have been better off if he was dead. And then we see the charge against the steward. The master, the rich man, heard that the steward was squandering money, was wasting money. The same word is found in the prodigal son story. Luke chapter 15, verse 13. It says this, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. See, the word squandered and waste in Greek is the same. So here we see the manager recklessly waste everything. Squandered it. I always thought that was a newfie word, but I guess not. And his boss is now very upset. Not only is he without, but now his steward is going to be without. Jesus is intentional with bringing up the word squander. Both. Anything you see, repetition. Different chapters, different things. is bringing in, it's highlighting exactly that. He's trying to show that the master was upset with the squandering. Not so much with the stealing. He didn't care, but he cared about what he was doing with what he was entrusted with. Then we see the steward's report. He asks, the rich man asks the manager to give a management, to give a report. Instead of the, the rich man firing the steward, the servant, right away, he shows grace. He shows mercy. Instead of kicking them out right away, he says, here, get your act in line. Get it all together. Tell me exactly. Have a moment to stand up and show me what you did wrong. See, the steward, he was man enough, or he had a backbone enough to accept the consequence. A lot of times, when we're showed grace and mercy, it's a beautiful thing. Salvation when I ask for forgiveness, grace washes all over my sin. But you see, consequences is something that's always there. Consequence is something that we're not void of. Yes, the Lord can miraculously cut away consequences. I've seen it. I've had it happen. But more often than not, we see consequence shapes character. I've had somebody ask me many times, I've talked about this many times, and they'll ask me, why doesn't God heal so-and-so of cancer? Now, I'm not telling you that cancer is a consequence. That's not where I'm going with the story. But I do believe that consequences shapes character. A lot of times we get so self-centered in our prayer lives that we fail to realize that God is also answering prayers through our lives. My radical thought process leads me down this road to think that what if there's a nurse in a chemo section of a hospital that has been praying day in and day out, oh God, if you are real, that you would send someone. 
What if someone that is dying with cancer who has been faithful to the Lord for many years can go and see a nurse who's been praying for years to a God that she don't believe in and shows up and miraculously at that very moment, at that very place, here's the gospel for the first time that someone is so frail. See, I believe the things we go through in life leads to character. It builds up. God uses us in the most of radical ways in the, way, in the times that we least expect it. See, the consequences of our actions more often than not lead to character-building times. It leads to the growth of who we are. God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. Much like someone who gets saved in jail. Just because they give their life to Christ in a jail cell don't mean that those jail cells are going to open wide up. It can happen, absolutely. But it's the character that the Lord is Then we see the debt payment. We see in verses 5 onwards, he says, So he summoned each of the debtors. He brought them. He said, How much do you owe my master? The first one says, A hundred measures of oil, of olive oil. He says, Well, take this note, take this invoice, write down 50, cut it in half. He gets the other one in. He says, How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. He says, we'll take it and cut down to 80. Then we see the very next verse, verse 8. The master applauded the shrewd servant. I had to go through so many different versions. I even went to the Greek to see that the master don't approve of it. He just applauds it. There's a difference. See, if, if somebody was taking my money and stealing it even more, if I was owed $100 and then someone who doesn't no longer work for me then cuts my $100 into $50, I'd be quite upset. Tone, if I owed you $100 and I only give you $50, you'd be upset. Well, maybe not you. God bless you. I probably owe you more than that anyway. <laughs> but, but see, the master realizes what happens. I don't know if you understand this, but in the biblical days, a tax collector would get his money from actually putting a percentage on top of what the government owed. So if you owed 15%, a tax collector would say to the person, you owe 20%. 15% would go to the, to the government, 5% would go to the tax collector. It's the same thing with the steward. He made his living by putting an extra amount on top of whatever they owed the master. So when he's seeing the 100 bushels or the 100 measures of oil or the 100 measures of wheat and it's being cut down, he's just getting rid of his unrighteous wealth. He's letting go of these things that really don't matter in the long run. He comes to a point, a aha moment, the light bulb goes off, and he says, if I got nowhere to cook my wheat or boil down my, I don't even know what you do with oil, fry eggs, what is the point of having it? What is the point of even possessing these things? But he said, if I can have a couch to crash on next week because I marked down Skipper's bill, then that's a lot better for me. See, the master steps back and sees that he's letting go of the things that don't really matter. He's starting to look at the eternal and letting the little things fade away in the, in the meantime. See, instead of trying to pocket the money, he was starting to build relationships that will last him for eternity. The, the rich man was very impressed. The little side note that I've been put here says, Jesus did not commend the manager's dishonesty, but rather his foresight. The shrewdness of the manager is a typical of the sons of this age towards their own kind. And Jesus, sorry, and Jesus' audience could, without condoning his activity, smile at how the weasley fox got himself out of a jam. The manager used what resources he had to prepare for his inedible, in, inevitable demise. The point then is to ask, if the unrighteous know how to use money to win their friends and secure your future, how much more ought the righteous do so, albeit righteously, helping those in need with a view of God's reward in the end? See, it's not that Jesus applauded, but he saw that what was most important was brought to the forefront. 
My heart then begins to sink. Are we putting what's most important in the forefront? Are we eternally focused, not only on our own salvation, but our relationships is going to help somebody else in the long run? Further down, we see the sons of the world versus the sons of the light. And this is something that made me sit there and ponder a little longer, think about it, and Jesus in his parable applauds the steward. But that bringing down all through, he gets to the point of the social aspect. See, a lot of times people, and I've debated this many times, people are longing for a relationship. If someone would just listen, and I've learned this from my long years of marriage, all eight of them. Don't worry, you'll get there. That if we listen, a lot of things go good. I remember when we were first married, seven years ago, that Adrian would often talk to me, and I would try to always come up with a solution. Then one day she just bossed. She said, I don't want you to fix me. I just want you to listen. And then the light bulb went off. How many people out there in the world don't want to be fixed or don't need to be fixed? They just need to be listened to. Let them be vented. And guess what? Jesus is the one that can change people. He's the one that does it. See, people will go to a bar and drown their sorrows in alcohol and vent out to people. Why? Because it's a safe place. Everyone is messed up. But little do they know that we got some pretty messed up people in church. And guess what? This is a safe place. But the world don't see it because the devil is so conniving that he actually takes what Jesus meant, what God meant as relationally for us to have conversations and, and friendships, that that's exactly how people get trapped into addictions. Because it's that person that listens that's probably on a wrong path in life, and they says, you drown your sorrows, but yet I'm here in church as a 31-year-old man who has never had an inkling towards that. Why? Because Jesus is my drug. And if people would only realize and see that in a relational way, because if I stood up, I run a, a, a shovel at work. It's... It's about four stories high. I get my workout. I get my steps in just going up and down the stairs. And see, when we're in this situation, where was I going with that? I had a great point then. I'll come back to it. That would have been really good. Father, you knew that. See, the intended ways of the relational aspect is how God wants us to ch help change people's lives. If we're too busy on our high horse to be intimate with one another, to be open and honest with one another, that's how we lose people. So what does this parable teach us for 2021? Here we are in April already. Uh, I told you at the beginning I wanted you to highlight some things. The first thing that I wanted you to highlight was in verse 9. The unrighteous wealth, it will fail. It will fail. Luke 16, 9, I'll read it to you. I, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So often we get mixed up with the true meaning of wealth. It's the number one reason for the heresy of prosperity gospel. Now, I believe in a biblical version of the prosperity gospel. I'll read you this in Nehemiah 2.20. It says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, may become rich. See, prosperity and riches is something that is given blessings to build the kingdom of God on earth. I don't know why I'm picking on Tone today, but he has a trailer. I called him. I've been at him quite a while to, to sell me his trailer. And see, I get gentle rebukes every now and then, which is amazing. I love it. And he says, in the Bible, it says that we're supposed to share these things. So he said, if I own it and you can use it whenever you want, so what's the point of buying it? I said, that's so true. See, that's the kingdom of God being built. That is where the blessings bless others. See, the kingdom of God is being built when we are blessed. And I remember my mom, after, normally after Sundays, when she would see her three children in church, she would say, you are blessed beyond measure. You are richer than any money, materialistic way. See, for some reason, we get caught up in the unrighteous wealth side of things. Money, it'll decay, it'll deteriorate. It means nothing. But see, what is pure and eternal wealth is our salvation, it is our relationships. It is how we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Point number two, I'd like to point out Jesus twice in two parables brought up the word squandering. See, a steward is someone who was entrusted with something given to that person with a specific reason in mind. It could be a gift, it could be a blessing. See, we're not supposed to hoard those blessings. Uh, I've tried salmon fishing a couple times, and I, I, I kind of like it. And I would say after about 400 trips in the last two years, I've become pretty good at it. And I've sat there on the edge of a river. Normally, I find a big rock when it's a little slower or a little warm. And I'll sit on the rock and I'll dangle my feet and let the current flow it out. And then all of a sudden, I get into that, that moment, that pause moment with the Lord where you begin to pray or you begin to speak to the Lord and the Lord begins to pour in. And I remember so quiet, so beautifully, the Lord said, what is it that gives the river its characterizations or its characters and I, I got there and not really sure how to respond he said is it the water that's ever flowing the same droplet of water that flows from the Humber River into Deer Lake then Deer Lake down to Pasadena and Pasadena out through uh, Steady Brook out through the mouth and out in the corner brook into the salt water one single droplet will never re-enter into that river He says, as a Christian, what is it that characterizes you? Is it what you're going through? Is it stuff you're dealing with? See, a lot of times people think that they're characterized by the things that their family has done, the things that they've been going through, the things that have been pounded into them their whole lives. And I've talked to so many people that have still being de is still dealing with things that their parents have said over their lives, and they believe that that's what characterizes them. And the Holy Spirit said, oh, no, no. You're characterized by your foundation, who you are in me. I sat there on the edge of the river, and I looked across, and I saw how there's this one rock, and I love Cabin Pool if you've ever been there. If you haven't, I'll take you if I ever get a chance to go again. And there's this rock that's under the water, and no matter how many times you flick that fly out, there's a salmon behind that river, or behind that rock. Even though the water is ever flowing, that same piece of water will never come back and flow over that rock. The characterizations are what uh, makes that river a river. It's its foundation. It's its banks. It's what holds true. And so much like Christians, even though we're not characterized by what we go through, but then the Lord begins to sweep out the old and begins to pour in the new. Flow in new blessings, new gifts. 
And sometimes, like a beaver dam, Christians, we love to just put it up there and just let it all back over. It becomes like a dam in the middle of the river. We don't let it flow through. It becomes hoarded. And then we become spiritual gluttons, and we don't want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We don't want to be the difference makers. And then the Lord gently prods, and he looks down, and he said, what are you squandering? What are you hoarding? What are you wasting? What are you not allowing to flow through you? Because like I said, there's people out there that are dying for someone to listen to them. There are people out there that is praying daily, oh Lord, would you send somebody? And how many times do I hear, oh, I felt to go and pray with so-and-so this week, or do so, and, and I never done it. Listen, don't damn off the blessings and the gifts that the Lord is giving to you. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the ones that are called to the spirit of ministry. You are the ones that are called to do what the Lord has equipped you to do. And then I ask, and the Holy Spirit prods, what are you squandering? What are you squandering? What are you holding back? As a fellowship and as evangelical church across North America, one of the biggest factors to declining numbers of churches and also members and new converts are pastors leaving the pulpits. And high up there on the list is due to the fact of financially unstable that those are in the ministry. They can't make it. Many people will say, and I've heard this story many times or this rebuttal, uh, God made sure that people were looked after back in the day. Mom used to tell me story after story of how people used to come and, 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 and give them canned milk, how they would stock their cupboards, how they were down to their last fill in the blank. And grandfather used to go to prayer and 20 minutes later there would be a knock on the door. Pastor, I just felt that you needed this. See, that was where the river was flowing through. The blessings happened. See, back in the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, disposable income wasn't a thing. But thankfully, the economy and also the Lord has changed that for many of us. A lot of us don't have to worry where our next meal is coming from. But there's still... But there are people out there that $200 could change their entire life because at that very moment they needed a touch from God. See, when we start seeing that unrighteous wealth will fade, but the eternal things is what matters, our hearts begin to change. Our hearts begin to break open that dam that we like to hoard the blessings and let it flow through. And I love Luke 6 where it says, Jesus says, pushes down, squeezes. I don't know if you've ever filled up a, a skidoo or not, but I like to go for long skidoo rods. And if you get a skidoo on an angle like this, where your skis up in the air when you're filling her up, you'll get more gas in it. And not only that, if you push down on the back of the skidoo and burp the air out of the, the gas tank, you'll get more in it. And when I read Luke 6, when Jesus is saying, press together, push down, so I can put more into you, that's exactly what I see. The Lord taking my skidoo to the gas station, putting it on the incline, squeezing down so he can put every little bit of his blessing. So the more you push through, the more he's going to fill up. Nippers congregate by still water. But the more that we allow fresh water to flow in and through, the more that people are going to thirst for what God has for us and to flow through us. Point number three, be eternally minded in a temporal way. See, Jesus highlights many people in the four in the four parables, he highlights the lost sheep, the dirty sheep that's been lost out in the mud and the muck and the mire. 
he highlights the woman. He highlights the prodigal son who was dirty, filthy, got himself into so much trouble. And then he highlights the shrewd steward, the dishonest, distasteful, the grotesque man that he was. And Jesus puts emphasis on these. And he actually lifts them up. You know what it tells me? Is that the Lord calls the whosoever will. The Lord to this day is still calling those that many would toss to the wayside. His grace and His mercy calls them just as they are. And He brings them in and He puts a new robe on them. He washes their feet. He cleanses them and He gives them a new life and a new name. Saul, who was the most filthy of them all, he actually killed, was a main plotter against Andrew, brought him in, met him on the road to Damascus, and he said, no, no, now you are mine, and I call you Paul. And he's still meeting people on the road to Damascus this day. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new life. And he's after those that we would never, ever think that would be close. The Lord is still working, even in the midst of a pandemic. Only yesterday I heard of a man who gave his heart to the Lord after a, a hard life. He's not overly old. But the Lord is still saving in the midst of social distancing. Just as a master shows grace and mercy to the steward by not firing him right away, how important is it that we don't write off someone right away? We're all with fault. If not, please tell me your secret. Please tell me how you do it. We all have our issues. But we got to stay focused on what is truly important. Because if I drop dead here right now, my sister might be upset. But I know that I'm eternally secure. My unrighteous wealth, the things that decay, doesn't mean anything. We have to be eternally focused in the here and now. We do it by living a life with people in the trenches, by listening, by loving, by just being human. Don't pretend to be something you're not. You've been called and created just as you are with your compassion or your lack thereof. Some people need tough love. My mom was great at it. And that's fine. That's a character trait that you need to hold on to. Paul used to love people into heaven. He used to snatch them out of the flames for other. We need to be eternally minded in the here and the now. We do it by living. Be real. And instead of being concerned with wealth that will decay, it's time to live every day with eternally minded. Live graciously. Live genuinely. And know that we are all called. Preaching in a church in Hawks Bay where I think the youngest member was 56, I used to always get caught up when my I felt in my spirit to say that you are called. And Uncle Ray, who is probably 83 now or close to it, he used to say, oh, I had my, my knee done not too long ago. Doctors told me I got 15 years out of it. So he said, I'll give it to you when I pass on. And I used to look at that man, and he had more of a call in his life at 83 than anyone else. See, it doesn't matter how old you are. But you can pour into some child who can change the world. The pastor that led Billy Graham to the Lord, I don't know if he even thought he was much of anything. But look what his obedience done. Your grandchild, your child, somebody else's child that you may look after could turn into the newest or even greater than Billy Graham. 
And it all starts with being eternally focused and depositing in something that's going to mature and profit for the eternal. As you go to pray tonight, and I'm going to ask Pastor Jared to return. On top of the prayer requests that you've come here to pray about, take a little extra time to ask the Lord to, to illuminate what unrighteous wealth is already failing in your life. Starting to mean nothing to you. And how He's calling you to invest your eternal wealth in today's life. Ask Him to show you what you are squandering. What gifts and blessings you are withholding that you're damming up and not allowing to flow through you. Ask Him to give you a gracious, gracious and genuine heart to reach the dishonest and the prodigals. And maybe I'm just preaching for myself. Maybe nobody else here is squandering anything. Maybe you're all eternally minded and allowing every blessing to flow through you. And if it is, amen. But tonight, I challenge you as much as I'm challenged to ask the Lord, what is it that you are to invest? What is it that you're already squandering? And how you can reach the dishonest and the prodigals. God bless you. Amen. We want to thank Pastor Jeremy for that tremendous Bible study this evening. Would you give him a hand to show him your appreciation for sharing the Word of God this evening? No doubt we were all encouraged and challenged at the same time through that Bible study this evening. Uh, to add to what he's asked us to be mindful of in our prayer time this evening, we want to make uh, known to you some prayer requests. Uh, we want to pray for Darlene Rumble. We want to pray for Lorianne Sparks, Mildred Thompson, Lloyd Sims. Kevin Williams, Margie Ball, we have an urgent need and a family need that we want to remember this evening, and we also want to pray for Alva Ricketts. As we sing this song, find your place to pray this evening, and let's seek the Lord about these things this evening. Jesus, use me, and oh Lord, don't refuse me, for surely Ooh.